Sunday morning, and on the continent of Africa, the sun is just setting, and that means there are 25,000 new Christians. And the sun will set tomorrow, and there will be 25,000 new Christians on the continent of Africa. And on Tuesday, the sun will set, and there will be 25,000 more. And every day of the year, over 10 million a year are coming to know Christ on the continent of Africa. In the last 100 years in sub-Saharan Africa, the population percentage has gone from 9% Christian to 63% Christian. Out of the 2.4 million people, billion people in the world, a quarter of those now live on the continent of Africa. God has done amazing things in our lifetimes. We see church growth in Indonesia and South America and Korea and the Philippines. All over the world, God is at work in the fulfillment of this great commission. It's Sunday, and that means since last Sunday, there are 1,500 new churches outside of North America. Every week, 1,500 new Christian churches are formed. The third world nations are now sending missionaries to the United States and other world areas as the world sends nationalities everywhere. We are seeing an amazing time of outreach. In the last 50 years, while Catholics and mainstream Protestant denominations have been withdrawing missionaries and ceasing to send missions, others have sent out missionaries. Evangelical churches have sent nearly four times the number of missionaries we were sending before that. And so we've seen the result of that. Those mainstream churches that are withdrawing missionaries have shrunk in size as denominations, while churches such as ours and Christian Missionary Alliance, Salvation Army, the Southern Baptists who are sending missionaries are growing. It is clear that with mission concern comes growth, and with decreasing mission comes decreasing size in our church. And so we recognize what uh, Barry shared with us last week is God's purpose for us. Look at the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Sometimes I'm afraid in this great commission we've come upon a Christian weariness. In this time of pandemic, uh, the the term of COVID weariness has come up. And sometimes I think we have in our Christian faith a weariness. And so I want to remind us from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So often in scripture, the psalmist and other writers cry out to God, How long? How long will we suffer? How long will we be going through this difficulty? And God never answers that how long with any specific number. He just simply says, I will be with you. The answer to our suffering is the presence of God. The answer to our apathy is the presence of God. To our weariness is the presence of God. And so Christians, well-meaning Christians, have set out to their best in following Christ and his teaching, but somewhere along the way have lost joy and enthusiasm and, and sense of mission. And so this Christian weariness is something we must combat constantly. Jesus knew we were in this for the long run, and so he gave us the great commandment and the great commission. 
He said, first of all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And then this great commission to go into all the world and teach the gospel. He gives us a purpose to live for. And the motivation to keep us moving toward that purpose, the motivation is his presence by his Holy Spirit. We've been talking about that for the last two months. How he has given his spirit to live within us. And his final word in that commission is that he will be with us and certainly within us. Satan has used a lot of things to uh, create this Christian weariness. One of the things he's used is that we are just saturated with hype in our culture. Every commercial strives to inspire us to their purposes. Every political candidate has told us that if we'll just do what they want us to do, somehow that will solve all of our problems. Talk of our worldwide mission begins to sound like one more attempt at empty inspiration. But Jesus gives us this purpose. The unknown leaves us with fear, but Jesus offers us presence. And the presence of God motivates us, and it is sufficient. Satan has used nationalism to discourage our ministry around the world. Strife between nations makes us believe that we can't spread the gospel in other lands. But we're not striving to spread democracy or nationalism. We're striving to spread the kingdom of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. So many of our missionaries now are in fields where we can't even announce their presence. We call them creative access fields. Many of them Muslim nations where we cannot send missionaries. But what we're finding is great revivals in those Muslim countries. Because even though we can't hold open services, our missionaries are there and have established a Christian presence. And what God is doing is by the thousands, he is sending visions of Jesus Christ to Muslims. And without knowing what they're supposed to do, they seek out a Christian and say, I got this vision, tell me what this means. Who is this Jesus and what is he getting into my dreams for? We're seeing amazing transformation in these nations. I'll never forget, we were on the World Youth Conference when it was in Oaxpec, Mexico. And there was a, a gathering of Hispanic students in one of the quads. And I came up around the outside of the circle and everything was going on in Spanish. And someone was translating for those of us around the edge of the circle who didn't speak Spanish. And there were students from two different countries, Nicaragua and Honduras. And at that time, their countries were at war. It was a border dispute and there were people dying in this war between their countries. And what they were doing was embracing each other in the center of this circle and saying, our love for Christ is more important than the visions of our countries. And so we recognize that that which unites us is more important than the things that would divide us. Another thing Satan has used is is the just influx of our media. Every day on our televisions, on our computer screens, everywhere we look is, is starvation and disaster and death around the world. And sometimes it's just this saturation of caring that we just can't keep up with it. And so we need to see that in this misunderstanding of the church's mission, the mission is primary for us. This isn't something that the church added on after they'd uh, been around for a while. Jesus began with this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore you, you see the transfer of authority? Jesus says, authority has been given to me, therefore you go and make disciples of all nations. It's the primary task that he gave us and promised to be with us. And so world mission is our chief purpose. We recognize it and we reach out. 
and lack of knowledge about missions is being combated all the time here in our local congregation. Barry and all of his missions council last Sunday, and as we look again this week, are constantly giving us information. We have missionary speakers in on a regular basis. We have our mission trips, which give us first-hand experience of the work around the world. Finally, Satan has used good old-fashioned selfishness to cut back our mission. Because so often we're more concerned with comforts here at home than necessities around the world. But these symptoms of Christian weariness can be overcome. We need to realize, first of all, it can be fatal to the Christian church. If we cease to reach out, we cease to be filled within. We must care for others. Outreach is essential. Jesus said, whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. We have the illustration of Jonah in the Old Testament with the two lessons he needed to learn of, first of all, obedience and then compassion. Really, the four chapters of Jonah are more about the prophet than they are about the prophecy. In all four chapters, there's only one line of prophecy. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. But it's all about Jonah's battle in this loss of compassion and concern. He had grown weary in being a prophet. The brief command to Jonah was go to Nineveh and preach. It would be the equivalent if someone said to us, go to ISIS and evangelize. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. They were ruthless barbarians actively involved in child sacrifice. They were, had perverted cult worship. Uh, the nations that they overran, they would kill all of the pregnant women to keep them from having to transport them. They would set hooks in the flesh of their slaves to string them all together. They were just horrible people. And Jonah wanted justice. He didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach for their repentance. And so he headed the opposite way, intent to get as far away from God and the possibility of what God had up wanted from him as he possibly could. So he booked a passage on a ship to Tarshish, a thousand miles from his home and 1,500 miles from Nineveh. Often when God calls us, we head in the opposite direction. Trying to run from God's call is always a mistake. The psalmist said, how do we hide from God? <laughs> Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David recognized that wherever we go, God is there. And Jonah finally realized wherever he went that God was there. He taught him the lesson of obedience with the fish that swallowed him and spit him out on the land. The second time God commanded him to go to Nineveh, he obeys. But he needed one more lesson, and that was the lesson of compassion. He prophesied destruction for Nineveh. An amazing thing happened. The people repented. From the least to the greatest, it says, this great revival swept through Nineveh. The book of Jonah is still read on Yom Kippur as an example of the fruit of repentance. And so Jonah says, God, destroy them. 
You promised to destroy them. I prophesied that you would destroy them. Nothing that I said will come true. He was more worried about his status as a prophet than he was about the standing of these people in coming to repentance. And what about us? Are we more concerned with our status than we are the needs of the world? The illustration of Jonah is crucial for us. And God taught him this little lesson about compassion. Had On this blistering hot day, had a vine grow up to give him shade. And Jonah gave thanks to God for the shade that the vine provided, but then it withered and died. And Jonah complained about the vine dying. And God said, you complain about that vine, shouldn't I have compassion on these people? To our day, are we more concerned about little things, about little shelter, about little comforts, than we are about the big things that God wants us to be concerned about? About going to all the world to tell, to baptize, to teach, to seek the kingdom, to serve the community, to reach the world, to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. God has called us to be missionaries, whether it's here or around the world. He has called us to overcome this Christian weariness. Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Last week we closed the service by saying, singing, Take my life and let it be consecrated to thee. To be consecrated to God. That's the antidote for this Christian weariness. To be consecrated means to be given completely to something. D. Stanley Jones said, we will never be completely committed to something until it takes up every part of our lives. We want to allow Christ to so consume us that everything is mission. That everything we do, everything we say is about reaching out to others with this great gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to leave you this morning with two stories of mission. Because one of our mission trips this year is to Romania, I I looked up one of my favorite stories of the Romanian church and one of my heroes, Peter Dugulescu, this Baptist minister and freedom fighter in Romania during the years when communism was disintegrating in the Soviet countries. And it was in 1990. Pastor Dugulescu had been threatened by the secret police. He'd been warned by somebody who knew their plot to watch out for trucks and buses, said, keep your family safe. And sure enough, the next week, his family was almost run over by a public bus. But at the same time, exciting doors were opening in their ministry. While other communist regimes were crumbling, Ceausescu, the tyrant who held a firm grip on Romania in communism, uh, was reigning with an iron fist. While Gorbachev was meeting with the Pope, Ceausescu was punishing freedom fighters and rebels in his country. In the small town of Timisoara, the pastor and his congregation were locked out of their church. <laughs> and all the churches in town then gathered in a silent protest that Peter Dugulescu's church had been locked up. They had a silent vigil of prayer and fasting in the city square. Ceausescu heard about this and ordered that shots be fired into any gathering in that town. And as shots were echoing through the city in the days to come, Cries of down with communism and God exists and God is with us were ringing out throughout the city. While his church was locked up, Pastor Peter stood out in front of his church and preached. 
We're already free, he says. We are freed by God. And he closed in that Advent season in Romania with a Romanian carol that had not been sung publicly for 40 years. What wonderful news is coming from Bethlehem that we have now a Savior. And the entire population of that small town gathered in the town square and sang together this hymn from their past. Ceausescu had been out of the country and came back incensed that such a display had been allowed. He set up his own rally in Bucharest for December 21st, but the planned shouts in his favor were drowned out by shouts of the freedom fighters. Ceausescu ordered that shots be fired into the crowd when his chief of of the army refused to fire those shots, he himself was shot and killed. The army scattered. Ceausescu made an effort to flee the country. And the news reached the little town of Timisoara once again. And Peter Dugulescu said, I want to speak to you in the name of God. All of our lives, we have been told he didn't exist. He asked them to join with him in the Lord's Prayer. And they knelt across that city square. That Christmas morning, the church bells rang in that town for the first time in 40 years. It was the Christmas of 1990 when communism was falling all around the world and now finally that fall came to Romania. Romanian TV announced God has turned his face back to Romania. Ceausescu, who had been captured in his vain attempt to exit the country, was executed on Christmas Day after being tried for crimes against the people and genocide. Freedom once again to worship. Time magazine at the time treated the story politically and ignored the religious revival. They named Mikhail Gorbachev man of the decades. But really, God was at work in the lives of Christian missionaries and Christians within this communist bloc country. On May Day of that next year in Moscow, it was kind of summed up in Red Square. They had their traditional march of all of the military display and tanks and guns. But behind the tanks and guns came a, uh, another parade, a crowd shouting bread and freedom and truth, and a group of priests carrying an eight-foot cross as they passed below Gorbachev, raised the cross high, and one of the priests cried out, Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev, Christ is risen. Within months, the communist bloc, as we knew it then, officially dissolved. And Christ has been building his church for these 30 years since. It's our privilege to be there in a mission trip this year. Think of where that country has come with the freedom that Christ provides. Some missionary stories are about huge salvation of thousands in a country that was oppressed. But the other story I want to leave you with is just about a mom and a daughter. Maria lived in a small village outside of Rio de Janeiro, and she had lost her husband shortly after their daughter, Christina, had been born. So all of Maria's life was given then to raising Christina. Her job as a maid provided only the basics, but it was a house that was filled with love. Christina grew up loved, beautiful, but also independent and had dreams of the big city. Her mother warned her of the cruelty that was there if she made her way to Rio. But sure enough, one day she had a note and her daughter was gone. Maria followed her with all the money that she had 
went to a drugstore photo booth and there spent all the money she had on snapshots of herself. And on each snapshot, she wrote a little note on the back. Aware of the city's traps for a young girl with no money, she went to every bar, nightclub, cheap hotel, coffee shop. At every place, she taped one of those pictures on the mirror of the bathroom, on a bulletin board, wherever she could find to put that picture. Scattered them as many places as she could find in the inner city in Rio. Maria, in frustration and out of money, finally returned home. A month later, Christina came down the stairs of the cheap hotel where she was living after falling into prostitution. Her dream of the big city had become a nightmare. The laughter gone, she longed for home, but she felt like she'd cut off all hope. She came down the stairs and saw the picture of her mother. She grabbed it, looked on the back, and read the notes which said, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. Missions is about finding those prodigals as well as evangelizing the masses. We reach out in mission to the individual and to the country. To the one needy one next door to us and to the country around the world. God has called us to mission. He has called us to overcome any Christian weariness and give us that word from Galatians. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Father, we come before you in this faith promise emphasis of last Sunday and this and realize that you have called us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Father, we rejoice in who you are. We rejoice in your saving grace. And we rejoice that you have chosen to include us in your plan of salvation. All authority, you said, had been given to me. Therefore, you disciples go and make other disciples. Tell them, teach them, baptize them, establish them in the faith. We thank you, Father, for a church that believes in mission. We pray that as we give today to our faith promise, that you would help us be aware of what you have in store for us in the days to come. In the name of Christ, amen. Church, I would encourage you to take your faith promise card. Give us your pledge for this coming year. This is not about what we can afford. Faith promise is not about a budgeting item. It's something that God will provide and we're trusting him to provide. And a great deal of value of our faith promise pledge will be to see how God provides that which he has put on our hearts to give. Let's give to the world around us that we may reap a harvest in due time. God bless you. Have a great day.